If you would turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 133, scripture we've looked at for the previous few weeks, Psalm 133, and then also we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Psalm 133, then we'll be going to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a wonderful thing when people are one place and one mind and one accord, all on the same page, so to speak, and particularly when we're all in one mind and one accord with God and with each other. It's a beautiful thing. It's a pleasant thing. It's a good thing. It's, by contrast, a bad thing when there's strife and there's fighting. It's ugly and it's unpleasant. In verse 2, he said, uh, This unity is like the precious ointment on the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, went down to the skirts of his garment. How many understand? That's a lot of oil. Right? You pour it on the head and it makes it all the way to the hem. Well, God's a God of abundance. Amen. You know, if he's pouring oil, he's not going to be scrimping on it. You can be sure. It's like the dew of Ermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So we see unity and we see anointing and we see blessing. There's obviously a connection between these two. And this is one of the reasons why that the enemy seeks incessantly to cause and start and perpetuate strife and fighting. Because if he can keep us fighting, then uh, uh, his M.O. and his purpose is to deceive and to divide and to destroy. A house or a nation, a church, any entity divided against itself cannot stand. It will fall. Jesus said so. And so uh, all of us together... You know, if all of the families of believers in a local church could really get focused to accomplish the will of God, what a powerful force that is. If all of the true God-believing churches in a town could pool their resources, is that right? And focus in their energies. If all the believers in a nation... Can you see? We're, we're talking about changing the world and quick. And, you know, money wouldn't be a problem, wouldn't be an issue. It, you know, you get every believer in the U.S. sold $10, we could buy a country. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, financial issues would be no limitation. And, uh, you know, if we're really a democracy, and, and we really, the, the rule is by the people and for the people, then um, if enough of us got together, you could do away with the bad laws. 
and get you some good ones, get some new ones, and reinforce the good ones. Come on, can you see this? I mean, it, countries would change. Continents would change. But people say, well, why don't we all just get together and why can't we all just get along? Well, obviously, there's reasons. Because generation after generation, it doesn't happen to any appreciable degree. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those reasons. Is that okay? Because we can't control the whole world, but we can get ourselves together. Amen. Right? Amen. And we can, uh, we can shut the door to strife in our marriages, Amen. in our families, Hallelujah. in our churches. Come on, can you see that? We, 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 can, we can affect some things, and uh, who knows? That could catch on. Amen. Right? <laughs> Somebody else could see it and think, well, hey, I'm going to do that too. And look at the results, how good it is, yes. how pleasant it is. And then we see the anointing manifesting. And then we see the, excuse me, the blessing and the anointing. Look with me in 2 Corinthians, please, the fifth chapter. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. And verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, the way you get in Christ is you're born again. And the way you're born again is, uh, Romans tells us, is by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Believing that, uh, as we'll see here in a moment, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, believing that Jesus was the spotless sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, believing that he paid the price for all your failures and mistakes, and believing that God raised him from the dead. And if anybody says, well, you know, that's, you know, that's pretty far-fetched, that may or may not happen, you cannot be saved without believing that. Did y'all hear me? Oh, well, you know, everybody's got a right to their beliefs. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you don't have a right to believe just anything you concoct and come up with. You're supposed to believe what he told you to believe. Believe the word. No, it matters. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, you're not saved. If you don't believe in the literal physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus, you're not saved. And if you haven't confessed Jesus from your heart, as Lord of your life, you're not saved. Even if you're born in a Christian home, even if you've gone to a Christian church for 30 years, that doesn't save you. Jesus said you must be born again. And this is how you're born again. It's an, it's an action of the heart. It's not about intellect. It's an action of the heart. And God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has redeemed the whole world by the sending of his son. Hallelujah. And if you reject that. Then you will not be saved. There is. There are no other options. There are no other ways. If you believe the Bible. Now if you don't believe the Bible. Well. You're, you're not a real Christian. You're something else. But uh, Jesus said. I am. The way. Hallelujah. The way. He said, no man can come to the Father except by me. Did he say it? He said, if you don't believe that I am the one, you will die in your sins. I'm quoting scriptures. So people, you know, they don't like it. 
that clear and that definite. They want to be inclusive of all religions. But if you do that, you're just throwing this book to the side. You don't care what it says. And how can you be a Christian and ignore the Bible? No. (laughs) Y'all are quiet. How do you get in Christ is what we're talking about. You must be born again. He said, if you are, you're a new creation. And this is on the inside. Your body hasn't become a new creation, but the inner man has. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God. That's on the inside. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know, child of God, you have a ministry? You say, well, I'm not a preacher. This is not about being a preacher. You have a ministry of helping anybody you can get right with God like you got right with God. You don't have to quote a bunch of scriptures to them. You don't have to preach them a message. But you do need to be an unashamed witness and willing to tell what the Lord did for you. Right? You were there. You were an eyewitness. You experienced when you were born again. And anytime there's opportunity to talk about that and somebody is willing to hear it, you do not need to hesitate. That's right. You need to say, yes, you know, I was lost. I was out. I was at odds with God. But, you know, this is how I got to, to be reconciled to God. I heard the truth. And wherever it was that you prayed the prayer or you gave your heart to the Lord and you, you confessed him as Lord. Uh, you now have the ministry of helping somebody, anybody that you can, get reconciled to God like you have been, like you are. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Say that out loud, please. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Is everybody on the planet right with God? No, they are not. You can't deny that God exists and be right with God. You can't reject the great salvation he sent to us in his son and be okay. Verse 19, he said, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is a great word. God is not against you because you have not accepted him. Uh, He's not uh, wanting you to try to pay for all your mistakes and fix everything. Jesus has done that. And God wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants you to come to him. He's not hating you and against you, no matter how evilly you may have lived. Because all of those sins and those bad things were laid on Jesus at the cross. And he paid for them. But you still, it's your choice, it's my choice, whether we will be reconciled to him or not. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Did you know you're an ambassador? A representative for him. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. 
That is the most important thing happening on the planet. The greatest need of man is not physical. Uh, You know, for granted, if you're hungry, you need something to eat. If you don't have any clothes to wear, you need some clothes to wear. If you don't have a place to live, you need a place to live. But the Bible says you gain the whole world and lose your soul. What have you profited? The greatest need of human beings is spiritual, not natural. And if you are reconciled with the creator of the heavens and the earth, he made the planet. He can get you lunch. Is that right? He created the continents and the mountain ranges. He can get you some wheels. Yo, I'm telling you, and he will. If you'll get right with him and put his things first, he said he would add all these other things to you. Didn't he say it, saints? He said he'd do it. So the number one thing is getting right with God and staying right with him. And if you get off, repent and get right back close to him and walk with him. Right? And you need to live ready to go every day and night because you don't know. People are leaving here. They tell us people leave this planet at the rate of about 150,000 a day. All over the globe, uh, it totals up about 150,000 will leave the planet, die, before a 24-hour period is done. And that's just about uh, every second uh, is almost two people. Two more. Two more. Two more. One day it'll be me and you. Is that right? <laughs> You're not going to live down here forever. And a lot of people leave sooner than they expected. I, I assure you, a bunch of this 155,000 that leave today, as they're breathing their last, they'll be thinking, I thought I had more time. I thought I, thought I had more time. And so you need to be ready to go. Are you ready to go, saints? If not, you better get yourself ready to go. Right? Before this service is over. Because you don't, you don't know all the future. There's just so much you don't know about what's ahead. But if you're right with God and you're ready to go, it helps preachers preach your funeral too. Oh man, I mean the worst thing in the world is trying to preach a funeral and you don't know where they are. We hope Maybe at the last minute they accepted the Lord, but they lived like a heathen their whole life. <laughs> Makes it tough on the preacher. <laughs> oh, but when you, when you know something about them and you know for sure that they gave their heart and life to the Lord, oh man, you can preach with boldness and confidence. They are with the Lord. Hallelujah. Which is far better. Than being here with the Lord. With the Lord. That's what the Bible said. To depart from this body, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, go with me, please. In the New Testament. To um, James, the third chapter. We saw last, uh, I believe it was last Sunday that not only 
Do we need to be reconciled to God by our personal humility, repentance, and faith in receiving what Jesus has done, coming to the Father, confessing Jesus as Lord? But once you're uh, born again, once you are a child of God, once you have been reconciled to God, how we treat each other also affects our fellowship with Him. We spent several minutes last Sunday looking in 1 John about how that if you love God, you love His children too. You love your brother too. And, you know, if your fellowship's going to be good with Him, you're going to keep His commandment. The New Testament commandment is to love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. Now, that's not about feelings. That's about choices. You can treat somebody like you love them, no matter how you feel. That's not hypocrisy. That's being spiritual. And, you know, expecting your feelings to change. And they will. Feelings are moldable, changeable. But an act of your heart is what God's looking for. And um, we talked about this. If you're a parent and you have children, it just doesn't work if somebody says, well, I like you, you know, uh, but then they treat your kid like dirt. And they kick your kid when they're down, but they say, yeah, but I like you. I'm, I'm your friend. Well, no. <laughs> you know, they hurt your baby. <laughs> right? They got a problem with you. And in fact, they could just kind of ignore you, but if they helped your child, they made a friend in you. Right? Well, uh, it's a lot that way with God. You, you can't just say, well, God, you know, I, I love you. It's me and you forever. But I can't stand all these other Christians. I mean, they, they make me sick. And I just can't. I can't bear them. Well, if he can bear them, you should be able to bear them. Is that right? And if he loves them, then you need to just make a choice. God, if you love them, I'm going to love them. Didn't say you had to like everything about them. Didn't say you had to like everything that they do and they say. Their biggest problem is that they're like you. Huh? Yeah, they, they haven't arrived at Christ-like perfection. They got, you know, they, they, their mind part of it hadn't been renewed. And, yeah, same thing. And uh, if God's willing to put up with you while you grow up, he loves them just as much as he loves you. You need to be willing to have some forbearance, patience with them, and love them. Well, as we've already talked, uh, the enemy is continually trying to get us to ignore the New Testament commandment and to get into and stay in strife in our immediate families and extended. I have seen so many churches that have split. And split and split again and start over and and you get people that you know uh, they uh, one somebody wants to sit as far as, as they can away from the other person because of this and that and people fall out so they won't come to the church anymore. Well, you know, God didn't hurt you and quit you. Why would you want to quit God? Because a person hurt you. That just doesn't make sense. And yet people do it all the time. One reason they do it is out of embarrassment. They do it out of shame. They think if somebody's heard about what happened or they know 
then they, I just won't come. I just won't go. That's being really dumb. That's letting the, the enemy play you. You know, getting you unhooked from a vital spiritual supply that you need. And uh, all of us have made mistakes. And it's just time to repent when you see you've made a mistake. And not be so proud. Just humble yourself and go, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to stay hooked with God. I'm going to stay hooked where he joined me and told me to be, be a part of. So let's look into some things in James about how the enemy works so that we're not ignorant of his devices. And so we can recognize some of these things when they first start happening and shut them down before they get out of hand. We can shut the door, I'm telling you, we can shut the door to strife in our, in our homes, in our marriages, at our workplace, at our churches. We can shut it down. We can't control the whole world, but in our immediate world, we can shut some things down. We can shut the door on the enemy. James 3 and 13. 3.13, he said, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or, or way of life his works with meekness of wisdom. Say that phrase out loud, meekness, meekness. Of, wisdom. of wisdom. Now true godly wisdom, as you'll see in just a moment, is not pushy, is not haughty. It has no pride in it. Pride is a bad thing, period. There is no good kind of pride. There is no, so we ain't got good pride, you know, like I'm, I'm proud of my kids. That's good, right? There is no good kind of pride. You can be thankful for your children, but proud's another thing. Being proud of your kids is being proud of yourself, because they're your kids. Oh, I lost somebody. Listen to what the father said when Jesus was baptized in the river and he came up and the spirit came on him and the father said, this is my beloved son. I'm so proud of him. I said, what's wrong with that? Pride is the nature of the devil. That's what's wrong with it. God hates it. He hates it. Anybody remember in Proverbs where it talks about seven things that God hates? And more than one of them reference pride and a haughty look. The devil is the proudest being you've ever heard anything about. He is so arrogant. He is so full of pride. What did Jesus say about himself? Come learn, he said, about me. What did he say? Of all the things he could have said. I'm powerful. I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm, I'm, what, but what did he say? I'm meek and lowly of heart. This is his nature. Meek has nothing to do with weak. Pride is, is, a, is a thing to be despised. And <laughs> we all got flesh. And so you got more of it than you want to admit. And the only way to deal with it is, first of all, you got to see it. And that's not fun. It's not fun. It's not comfortable to see how proud you've been. 
But you've got to see it in order to deal with it. I know when I, I used to teach at Ramah Bible Training Center, we had a course on submission and authority, and part of that course involved talking about pride and humility. And I had more than one person say, well, Brother Keith, before I took your course, I never had any trouble with pride. <laughs> well, yeah, you don't have trouble with what you just yield to. It's when you start endeavoring to deal with it and not yield to it, that's when you, uh, you get a revelation. It's kind of like, you know, I can quit this anytime I want to. Show us. <laughs> right? <laughs> Show us. But uh, how did we get off on that? Well, because it's right here. Meekness. Everybody say meekness of wisdom. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. There is an ungodly wisdom. There is a devilish wisdom. Verse 16, for where he says it again, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. In 1 Corinthians, it says God is not the author of confusion. He's not in confusion. So when you see a bunch of convoluted, confused stuff, God's not in that. The enemy's in that. One of the things you'll see, like when you see rioting and you see just chaos and you see destruction and trampling and killing and destruction of property, this is the devil. This is the devil. People are just, and a lot of times doing it mindlessly. People just get worked up into a frenzy and then you, and, and war. Just destruction of, of, of towns and, and killing of innocents. This is the devil. This is him. He, he is having his way. People are yielding to him enough that what does he do? Jesus said he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. It's not God. And it's ignorant people who attribute this destruction to God. Wonder why God did that. He didn't do it. It's ignorance of the word. It's the enemy. There's a devil. And if people yield to him, his will is manifested. When people yield to God, God's will is manifested. God is the God of peace. Hallelujah. It's a peace that passes understanding. He's a God of rest. Hallelujah. God of healing, restoration, prosperity, abundance, just the opposite of devastation and chaos and confusion. You don't have to know a whole lot to know what's God and what's not. You don't. <laughs> if it's good, it's God. <laughs> if it's bad, it ain't God. <laughs> Keep reading. This wisdom descends not from above his earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. That means easy 
easy to talk to, easy to work things out with, easy, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom of God. Another way of saying that's God. Pure, peaceable, gentle, not harsh, easy to be entreated, not hard to talk to and get along with, easy to get along with. So you can see what contributes to peace and what contributes to strife. The Lord spoke to my heart some years ago about our ministries and about the churches that I was responsible not to allow strife in our offices, in our departments. He was very specific with me. And he brought me to this passage and spoke to my heart that did I see where envying and strife is, there's confusion and what else? Well, if every evil work, that means the enemy is there working. And the Lord said it to me like this, strife is the manifested presence of the devil. He said you ought not have the manifested presence of the devil on the church grounds. In the church offices. Is that right? So I, I prayed about it. I looked at it. I called staff meetings. And we talked about it. We're not going to have strife. We're not, we're not going to have it. Things start to get out of hand. It's going to get shut down. If it don't get shut down. You're going to get removed. Come on. Can you see this? Why? Because the Lord told me. Not to allow it. Not to allow it. Not in the offices. Not in the ministry offices. Not on the church grounds. Don't allow it. Why? Because you'd be allowing the devil. To manifest himself. In God's place. Shouldn't be. Well. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Is that right? That's God's place. Your house, your apartment, wherever you are, whatever space you have control over should also be God's space. Yes. Amen. Is that true? That's true? And it shouldn't be allowed that the devil could manifest his presence. You know this is true. Have you ever walked into a room where people were really fighting and you didn't even hear it, but you walked into the room and you felt it. Huh? See, everybody around is going, mm-hmm. well, what did you feel? What did you feel? Did it feel good? Did it make you want to shout? No, it made you want to turn around is that right? and get on out of there. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> What did you feel? It wasn't just a physical feeling. What did you feel? You sensed something spiritual that was not good, that was evil. And it was because people had been yielding to it, yelling, cussing. 
Sometimes fighting and breaking furniture. And what is this? It's destroying. Can you see that? It's confusion. Who's manifesting here? It ain't God. And I'm talking about this can happen in Christians' houses. Believers' houses. Anybody can yield to the flesh any day of the week. You, me, anybody. We're foolish if we do. But uh, there's another wisdom, a wisdom from above that'll see things coming before it gets out of hand. A wisdom that doesn't get stupid and hard to talk to. Doesn't get adamant about something that it shouldn't, that, that is peaceable and gentle, easy to talk to. How, how many understand a lot of things could have been solved? Early in a situation. By instead of being so loud and demanding. Just calming yourself a little bit. Asking a question. Yes. Instead of telling somebody how it's going to be. Yes. Come on y'all with me. Just, just, just asking a question. <laughs> instead of demanding. How different it could go. Yes. And if you just give God a little time. To work on people. Of course, you people too, you know. Work, work, work on people. Then this whole chaos and, and destruction could be prevented and avoided. Look with me in the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of this in the book of Proverbs. Thank you, Father. Proverbs 17, Proverbs 17 and 14. Let's see how this works. 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife. So this is revelation about how something, how when strife first begins, everything starts small and gets bigger. Everything. You did, right? The beginning of strife is as when one lets out water. Well, I, they didn't have them back then so much, but it's just like a faucet today. When you, when you start to open the faucet, what happens? A little bit. And then if you keep twisting, more and more. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. That's the King James. Listen to the Amplified. Amplified says the beginning of strife is as when water first trickles from a crack in a dam. Therefore, stop contention before it becomes worse and quarreling or a fight breaks out. If you see a leak in a dam, I mean, you got, you know, 500 acres of lake behind this dam. You got 150 foot of water deep behind this dam and you see it spewing what should you do chip at it <laughs> chip at it just just push it huh and just not let it go not let it go and just pick at it and push at it and bring it up again and again and again and again, and again. 
If you do, you're dumb. Because you don't realize where you're standing. Is that right? When this thing breaks out, where are you? On the wrong side of the breaking down. It, it takes spiritual development and awareness to realize when you need to shut up and quit pushing it and quit bringing it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing nods all <laughs> Some folks not nodding too big, just kind of. <laughs> Help your neighbor look over him and just say these three words: "Don't push it." <laughs> don't don't push it. Don't push it. If you keep pushing after breaking the dam, you keep tapping it. What's going to happen? It's a little spurt. It's a little drip. You push at it. You chip at it. You knock on it. Now, it's spraying you in the face. If you're really dumb, what will you do? Chip at it some more. Just keep, just keep chipping at it, chipping at it, pushing it. <laughs> Turn and tell the other person on the other side. Say, say, say don't push it. Don't. <laughs> Don't, don't push it. Stop pushing it. <laughs> Stop pushing it. Acts 15, go there please. <laughs> is this an issue? You know it is. You know it is. Why do folks keep pushing it? When there's so many reasons not to. When it should be obvious. Because there's an enemy. And he will push you to push it. And most folks don't even realize what's going on. The enemy, he'll bring it to you. And in your heart, maybe you told yourself, I'm going to quit talking about this. But just minutes later, (laughs) here it's coming back up to you. Just coming back up to you, coming back up to you. And folks don't realize it's the enemy. He's trying to start something. He, he's trying to get it, you know, get the dam where it's completely broken out. He, he wants to get this thing to just confusion and chaos. He wants you to get to the place where you're no longer even thinking about what you're saying. You're yelling, you're screaming. Because then the enemy is, is, is just having his way. And when strife and confusion is there, every evil work, the devil is manifesting himself. Like the Holy Spirit wants to be manifesting himself in your life, but the devil is manifesting himself in your bedroom, in your kitchen, in your workplace, in your car. We don't have to allow it. But we need to be aware of the enemy's devices. We need to be aware of how he works. And what's going on. And instead of letting him push us. To push somebody else. We need to push back. Against him. And resist him. And shut him down. And get a hold of our mouth. And control ourselves. Control. Not not be 
governed by feelings or by thoughts, but governed by the greater one on the inside of us. And, and if he tells us to do something, that's what we do, no matter how pulled or tempted we are to give them a piece of our mind. <laughs> Acts 15. Are you there? Paul and Barnabas have been a ministry team for some time now at this point in the book, record in the book of Acts. They've traveled together. They've started works. They've seen miracles. A lot of good things. And so they are looking at starting a new journey. They've already done more than one. And in verse 36, some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again. Visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of God, the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, verse 40, and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren to the grace of God. Here are two genuine men of God. I mean genuine. Whom God is using in signs and wonders. Apostles. Laying the foundation of the church. Seeing amazing miracles. Who came to a, an impasse. With each other. And were not able to travel on in ministry together. Like they had been doing for some time. Now, the Bible didn't have to record this. There's all kind of things happened that we have no record of that happened centuries ago. But the Spirit of God wanted us to know about this and inspired it. So there are valuable lessons for us to learn. So you get all this conjecture amongst theologians. Who was right? Who was wrong? Well, they're both wrong. Well, they're both right. Well, God ordained that they split up. God's not in confusion. He's not in strife. He's not in contention. That's all man-made, devil-assisted. So what happened here? First of all, you need to remember the Bible said Barnabas was a good man. And the Bible calls you a good man. You're a good man. And, you know, he's the one that's originally, one of the original ones that sold property and brought the money and gave it to the church to help people. Then, when Saul met the Lord on the road to Damascus and got born again, even though, you know, he's born again, he had an amazing experience. He's been filled with the Spirit. But the church wouldn't receive him. When he came to town, 
Nobody let him in. Because he was so he was so bad, man. You know, he hauled people to jail. He, he was he was destroying the church. But Barnabas went and got Paul and took him to the leaders and said, No, he's been saved. This has changed. And I mean Barnabas was a, a key to Saul, who later was called Paul, getting accepted in the church. And so much so, uh, apparently a a real friendship developed there. And then they start ministering together. And and are so powerful that uh, the elders use them to send to different places to give the answer of the whole church council on certain subjects. They're sent to represent. You know, they were so powerful in some some of these idolatrous cities that the whole city came out and said, the gods have come down to us in human form. They're talking about Paul and Barnabas. (laughs) And they called uh, what Barnabas uh, Jupiter. And they called uh, Paul, uh, the the name Hermes comes to mind, but that's a different name. Uh, It's it's accurate for, for one of the others. Anyway, they called them gods. But here, after all this ministry and all this experience, the contention was so sharp, they parted ways. So what happened? What happened? (laughs) Y'all are quiet. Let's look at it again. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again, verse, verse 36, visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of God, see how they do. And Barnabas, what? That word determined is significant. It, it means he was, he was set on it. The Weymouth translation says Barnabas was bent on taking with them John, whose name was Mark. He was bent on it. And uh, the W.E.B. said he planned to take John. The Weiss translation says Barnabas kept on insisting that they take with them John, the one called Mark. But Paul kept on considering it the part of wisdom with reference to this one who withdrew from Pamphylia, did not go with them to the work, not to be taking him. Now let's go back to the idea in James. The wisdom of God is what? Easy to be entreated. Can you see that? Easy to talk to. Peaceable. Pure. Already you can see some things that are to me enlightening. Barnabas is bent on it. Paul didn't think it was good. Come on, can you see this? And here's another big factor. This is Barnabas kinfolks. Are y'all with me? The Bible said that this was his sister's son. Mark is Barnabas' nephew. Family. How many understand you got to watch about being pushy about including family? Did I lose somebody? Now what had happened, the reason Paul didn't think it was good, because it hadn't been weeks or months ago until Mark left them high and dry right in the middle of a missionary trip. 
and went home. Left him. Left him without the help and without whatever he was supposed to have been doing. They took him with them. Mark was a young guy. John Mark's his name. Barnabas' sister's son, the scripture says. Barnabas' nephew. They took him. And in the middle of the trip, uh, you know, maybe he saw too many deliverances. <laughs> maybe, you know, he's tired of being on these long boat rides or longer dusty walks. And he misses mama's cooking. I don't know. He's a young guy, but he just bails in the middle of the trip (laughs) and leaves and goes home. How many understand after that, there should have at least been an open discussion about if we take Mark back on this next trip. And that's not how Barnabas is approaching it. He's determined to take him. He's been on it. He got his mind made up about it. And Paul don't think it's good. Now we know Paul didn't just write Mark off. We know he didn't just hold a grudge to the end of time. If you read other scriptures, he tells in another place, he said, bring Mark with you now. He's profitable to me for the ministry. He, He wasn't writing Mark off. But Mark needs to learn a thing or two. About sticking it out. About staying in your place. Doing what you're supposed to do. And Paul thought, well, no, we don't need to take him on this trip. Need to leave him home. But Barnabas was bent on it. (laughs) And he wasn't open. And so if Paul wouldn't have just agreed with him to something that Paul believes the Spirit of God's leading them not to do, then uh, Barnabas is going it, it, to have to be that way. He kept pushing it. And one of the reasons I think this way is because the narrative in the rest of the book of Acts follows, guess who? Paul and Silas. Not Barnabas and Mark. And the last verse we read, it says, you know, that Paul and Silas were commended by the church. Didn't say that about the other. I have seen, personally in our almost 40 years of ministry now, people put family ahead of God repeatedly and really mess up. If family is first, God is not. They're they're just not two number one spots. If family is first, God's not. And people will miss God over family. And that's the worst thing you could do for your family. The greatest thing you could ever do for your family is obey God all the way. And there'll be times, especially if they're not wanting to follow him correctly, it'll be uncomfortable. It'll seem like you're getting further away. But you can't help them by misrepresenting God to them. Do you hear me now? Trying to put them in places God didn't tell you to put them in. Trying to give them things that they didn't believe for. Come on, can you see that? And then they're living in a dream world that they're in faith and they're not in faith. They're riding your coattails 
And so you'll get in a situation where you can't fix it and they don't know how to believe God. You want to wean your children off of you onto the Holy Spirit as soon as you can. I'm talking about when they're young. Young. Six years old. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Don't just answer all their questions. Don't just do everything for them. Ask them about, have, have you heard from the Lord? Ask them about praying for it. Don't just get in your pocket and give them everything. Talk to them about believing for it. Talk to them about sowing a seed. Talk to them about being led. Because soon and very soon, it's going to get bigger than you can do. Bigger than you can fix. And so Barnabas, he should have been open just because of the fact that Mark is his nephew. He should have been ready to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit biased here. <laughs> you know, that's my sister's boy. And who knows, maybe they had a really close relationship growing up. Maybe he was more like a father figure. I don't know. But anyway, when it comes to family, you need to realize you may not be as objective as you need to be. Come on, did you hear me? And you need to be open to the Spirit of God helping you through other people, listening to what they have to say, being open instead of being adamant. No, I'm going to have this. I'm going to do this. Why? It's my boy. It's my girl. It's my this. That's how you miss God. Let me read you some other scriptures here from Proverbs because it talks about this. I think that phrase, Barnabas was bent on it, tells you a lot. Don't you? Are you there in the book of Proverbs? We saw that the beginning of strife is like when somebody lets out water. It's like even a crack begins to form in a dam. But you'll see in Proverbs 13, 10, it says, Only by pride comes contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Listen to the easy to read. Proverbs 13.10, easy to read translation. Pride causes arguments. But to those who listen to others, those who listen to others are wise. Somebody say those who listen. And you see there in James 3 that the wisdom that is from above is peaceable, is gentle, is easy to be entreated without partiality. Did you hear that? Oh, some of you didn't. Put James 3, please, back on the screen. Verse 17. He had said in the previous verse, where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Verse 17, the wisdom that is from above When you're genuinely operating in communion with God and His Spirit and the wisdom He gives to lead you and direct you, this is how you're going to come across. Peaceable. Gentle. Easy to be entreated. Do you hear that phrase? That's easy to talk to. Easy to deal with. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. But you're still easy to talk to. The Lord's helped me with this. I can't say I was always like this, but I'm growing. 
Some, some time back, a guy was wanting to talk to me, another pastor minister, about a doctrinal point. And oh, he was laying it on me. He said, now such and such is such and such. He said, you understand? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, and the scripture said this, the scripture said this. So this is how it, how it is. He said, you understand? I said, yeah. He said, so you agree? I said, no. <laughs> I could tell he looked shocked because he thought because I said I understood and I wasn't getting mad that I agreed. He said, well, you, you said you thought you understood. I said, I think I do understand what you're saying, but I don't agree with that. No. Well, <laughs> so can, can you be agreeable even when you disagree? An agreeable disposition easy to be entreated. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to. The Bible also talks about wrath stirs up strife. An angry man stirs up strife. So many times that's what happens. Things could have been resolved in five minutes if everybody hadn't just got run off the rails getting mad and get upset. Because when you get mad and when you get upset, the tension, you just feel it. It gets harder and harder to talk. You know what I'm talking about? Why? What are you sensing? What is this tension? That's the enemy manifesting. A strife man. This is the devil manifesting in your presence right here. And you're letting it happen. If we can just calm down. And even if we don't agree. We still agree. We care about each other. Right? I don't have to agree with everything you believe to. To care about you. Still want a relationship. Right? We can talk about something else. Full of mercy. Everybody say full of mercy. mercy. Good fruits. Did you see this? Without partiality. You reckon Barnabas might have been a little partial. With his nephew there. Well the wisdom from above helps you to rise above that. and, And not be partial. Because of your own natural inclinations. Because you, you're yielding to the greater one that's on inside of you. I've had people get irritated with Phyllis and I about things in the church. Well, why don't you do this like somebody else does? Well, we want to do this. Why can't we have this group here? Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? And uh, I've had people try to push. Why don't, why don't you let us do what we want to do? I, I said, dear, I don't do what I want to do. Why would I do what you want me to do? I'm serious. I know this is not real to a lot of people, but we're supposed to yield to the head of the church. Right? We're supposed to check in with him. I don't need a reason not to do something. There's a hundred thousand things going on at any one time that you could jump on the bandwagon and be a part of. I don't need a reason not to do something. I need to hear from the Lord. I need a direction from him to get our people, our resources, their time involved. Because if you're going to be working on a team, if you're going to be doing some kind of project or involved in some kind of thing, I need, Phyllis and I need to have confidence that you can be protected and you can be prospered and it can go right. And the only way I can have that is if I'm confident the Lord told us to do it. Then I know if it's his idea, he's going to take care of us. Come on, can you see that? But if I'm just doing something because you wanted to do it, who did you hear from? Or because somebody else is doing it at their place, you got to watch about all this. 
And you've got to watch about partiality, about people you know, or connections, or like we said, family. We want to become spiritual enough that we're not led by feelings. We're not led by emotions. We're not led by family ties. We're not led by opportunities. We're not led by needs. We're not led by pressure. We're led by the Holy Spirit. Only then are you safe. Only then can you know it's going to go and go well. Because if it's the Lord's idea, you don't have to plead with him to bless it. It was his idea. Do you believe that the peace of God can prevail in our homes? Do you believe it, saints? Peace of God can prevail in our churches, in our department, in any place. We don't have control over every place, but in the places we do have control over, we can shut the door to strife. We cannot be proud and, and not yield to anger, and, and we can be like this. I want you to read it again. It, it is so significant. James 3:17. Do you have the wisdom of God inside you? Yes. Do you? Yes. The Spirit of God inside you. This is his ways, his wisdom. It's pure, it's peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now, now, now just think about a person. Here's a person you're going to have to do something with. Somebody says, what kind of person are they? And he said, well, they're, they're a pure-hearted person. They're a peaceable person. They're a gentle they're easy to talk to, be entreated and get along. They're full of mercy, full of good fruits. No partiality, no hypocrisy. What can you figure? Man, we're in good shape. I'm going to be able to work with them. Is that right? Amen. I mean, if they're like that, Amen. We, got, we got it made. We're going to be able to, whatever it is, we'll work it out. If we run across something we don't agree on, we still don't have to blow up and destroy everything. We can work it out, right? <laughs> We can work it out. That's the wisdom that's from above. That's the character that stays out of strife. Keeps the door shut to the killer, stealer, and destroyer. Can you say amen? Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.